Good morning. morning. Welcome. I see a few people laid in this morning. Must be cold outside. Who likes the cold weather? Absolutely. I'm kind of with Jamie. I like the end of autumn, early early winter, and I like midwinter as well. I like it when it's cold, but uh, I also like it when it's hot. Yeah, Pete's got his hand up. Pete's from the Territory, so he loves it hot. <laughs> All good. Um, thanks, Joe. That's fantastic. So last week we, we looked at, uh, we looked at um, a bit of an update of where Life Source is sitting at the moment in the sense of our, our three-week vision uh, series beginning last week. And it was a, an interesting set message and, and a, an encouragement. Who was encouraged last week that we're here as you listen to what God's doing in our midst? I was definitely. Uh, today, I kind of want to look at this theme here, though, uh, week two. It's, it's the next step. It's this sense of what, what's happening in our vision, what's happening as we grow. And I kind of, without sensing and, and talking into vision itself, I want to I do some teaching today around this area of financial breakthrough. Is that all right? Who's on the edge of their seat about that? Yes. Oh. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Last week was awesome. And the whole, the whole idea, remember, if you can just remember, we, we are on this perpetual journey of seeing kingdom come. That's Jesus' kingdom come in every area of our lives and our community. Is that right? Well, this is one area that we actually need to see kingdom come. Yeah. So, um, so is it, and it kind of lines up. The reason I wanted to talk this week about finances is it lines up with our AGM, which is today. So for me, it's the way I think. I kind of think a little bit logical at times. So therefore, we're doing our AGM. So now's a good time to talk about this kind of stuff. Is that right? So whether you've been at Life Source for a long time or a little... Um, I know that today, as we talk about finances, if you open up your heart, God's going to do something in your heart today in this particular area. Right? So we've got to open up our heart. We've got to actually lean into this if we want to hear what the Bible's saying to us and, uh, and teaches us. Um, if this is your first time here, maybe even your second or third time here, and you're like, man, I, I always heard churches are talking about money. Let me just put you at ease for a moment. Churches don't always talk about money. But money is a very important thing that we need to talk about, not just to keep the, the wheels turning in the context of seeing the, the bills paid and those sorts of things, but Jesus talked about money a lot. There's a lot of what he says that is, is in relation to money that Jesus wants to deal with. Why? Because actually money opens up and reveals the state of our heart before God. So Jesus talks about it a lot because Jesus is interested in our heart. Is that right? And then, uh, so, so if, you, if you're here and you're only either a new Christian or you're checking church out, let me just encourage you in this way, that God can do amazing things if you would just open your heart up to him. I'm a testimony to that myself, and I believe that most people sitting here would be a testament to that as well. And lastly, by the way of introduction, as I, talk, as I lead us into this area, um, the exciting thing is that I believe I'm actually talking to people who already have a generosity of spirit. Is that right? You already understand that being generous is the direction that Jesus is leading us in. So I don't have to try and convince you to be generous. What I have to help you unpack and understand is the importance of this topic. That's all. That sounds like a very easy job. No? <laughs> Let me tell you, this has actually been one of my hardest areas in, in, in working through. Uh, one of the little things that happened to, to our family when we were younger was some, some pretty amazing things happened, but... We were challenged in an area of finance in a wrong way and actually locked us up. 
And what the thing is with, with finance, if you get locked up in this area, it actually stops your growth and projection of what God's doing in your life. And, and I want to talk to that today and help us open up. Is that okay? So will you stand with me as we, uh, we read this scripture? I like to stand with the scripture sometimes because it helps us unpack and what's going on. So we've got this scripture here today, just a way of opening up for us. It's 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 11. I'll read it to you. But if you want to close your eyes, you can close your eyes. But if you just want to partner with me in this, then partner with me. It says this. This is Paul talking. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. We could spend all day just unpacking that one line. Is that right? But each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Everyone say all. all. Having all sufficiency, he says, in all things at all times. So there's a key here. It's linked to sowing and reaping. And that releases an abundance of grace over your life to have sufficiency in all things at all times. Verse 9, as it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for your sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Who wants a harvest of righteousness in their life? Who wants to see a harvest of souls coming into the righteousness of their life? Yeah, so actually, there's actually a link here. Paul's the, the great missionary, right? And he's got this heart to see the kingdom of God go out to all of the Gentiles. And he links some of this with this seed time and harvest, with this sowing and this reaping. And that's why actually being able to talk about money freely is really, really key about when we're talking about kingdom advancement, kingdom come. Because if Paul could talk about it freely, we see what happens in his life as he preaches the gospel. We need to be able to do the same thing. You may take your seats. That's a really interesting verse when you read it in the context of what Paul's talking about. So I'm talking to people. There's many of us here um, who are a giving kind of people. Is that right? There's many here who do so out of faith. They give in the sense of the principle of this word, which is to sow, believing they're going to reap a harvest. And that's a good thing. There's others who do so out of a response of obedience to God's word. And there's some who do so just because they feel compelled to because the bag goes around. And I think this passage of scripture really talks to that because it says, not as you are compelled but giving what is in your heart. Because God loves a cheerful giver. If I'm being compelled to put something in the plate, I'm not cheerful. right? So you have to give according to your heart what you have already put in place between you and God already. But there's some principles that we must look at and learn as we walk through this journey together. I've always said that... Uh, that you give your first and you give your best to God. Is that right? Yeah. Then I've said, then God, when he teaches you that principle, he opens you up in generosity and then you're able to give your next to the mission of God. So the mission giving becomes important. 
And then when you look at scripture and you look at into the next things, there's the next one, which is not the compulsion, but Jesus or God himself talks about bringing into the house so that the temple could be beautiful, can be, you know what I mean? Like that whole sense of the house of God can be a place of beauty. So it's like a building kind of context. So there's three areas of generosity. But today, I only want to talk to you about the first one, which is giving your first, giving your best, what we call the tithe. Now, the tithe, very, very simply, is simple. It's giving 10% of whatever income you receive to God first. That's it. That's the simple definition of what a tithe is. The figure is 10% because that's what the, the word means. And, uh, and, and we'll go into that as we go. I believe that if we uh, do this as a body, then uh, we will begin to understand the blessings of God like we've never understood before. And the blessings won't be necessarily for us, even though when a blessing comes through you, it touches you as well. The blessing is meant for your city. The blessing is meant for your people. The blessing is meant for those around you so that they would come into the harvest of righteousness the same as you have come into the harvest of righteousness. But a blessing won't flow through you without actually touching you as well when it comes to this area that I'm speaking of. One of the practical things we did was you'll notice on the back of our newsletters is we added a target for our tithes. The reason we did that in, in, in reflection, the reason we did that was not just to compel people to think above themselves, but it was actually to give us a measurement. And that measurement is, um, is something that we can see where we're at on target from our budget perspective to be able to do the things that God wants us and has called us to do. So it's really just a practical faith step. But I believe that the principle is more important than the action steps of putting in a target. The principle of giving and generosity and giving your first to God, when the church captures that, that target will fail in insignificance because we are generous people and we've been touched by the heart of God. Does that make sense? Psalm 24 says this. See if it comes up for me. It says, I just want to establish a base for us right now. Establishing a base. Psalm 24, 1 to 5. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world and those who dwell therein. And he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Thinking about what is clean hands, what is a pure heart, what is a hungry heart before God. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. So this is the first point I want to really put into this sense about establishing a foundation is this, that everything around us belongs to God. Everything. God creates everything and he gives everything. This actually says in James 1.17, says this, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Verse 18, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So I want you to remember just that term first fruits because it will come up once or twice as I speak. 
Church, we must wrestle with the concept and come to the conclusion that Scripture is right. Like, it's that simple. It's either right or it's not, okay? If we come to this conclusion, if we wrestle with it in our heart, and trust me, I've wrestled with these thoughts in my life many, many, many times. If it's right, then everything we have has been given to us by a merciful God. And by implication, because God has given us everything, he, it means that we can, he can ask for anything in return. Is that right? Yep. Anything he likes, because it belongs to him. When we come to this conclusion, it will free us from the controlling thoughts that my life belongs to me and I must guard everything that I have. When we come to the conclusion that God owns everything and it has been given to me for stewardship over, that includes not just finances, that includes the blessings of my home, the blessings of what I'm wearing, the blessings of what I eat. My family belongs to God. Everything that I have belongs to Jesus. In fact, everything that I am, even this body, has been paid for with the price. And the price was the blood of Jesus upon the cross. So when we consider this, even this belongs to God. Therefore, everything I do is actually a holy worship unto God. Hmm. Think about that. And then all of a sudden, sin falls into insignificance because you don't want to be doing that when your body belongs to God. Does that make sense? It's the same in this context as well. By implication, it belongs to Him. And this will free you up. And my challenge in this area is this, and this is the one I had to grip with a long time ago. Either we love God or we love the gift more. Either I love God or I love what he gives me more. Do you ever wonder why God asks for your money? Of all the things God wants, why does he ask us for our money? The Bible actually tells us that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's richer than you and I put together. Right? But why does he ask for our money? Well, money is what we use, correct? It's, it's our marker of wealth. It's what we buy and sell with. It's a trading thing. But in the Old Testament, wealth was more about possessions, stock or herds, crops. Whether they succeeded or not, their wealth was found in their crops. I can remember a battle where uh, a particular family were fighting over lentils. I mean, I don't know if I would fight over lentils. But they fought battles against the Philistines to protect their crops because that was their wealth. Yep. Um, so, so when we look at that, there's even this sense that it wasn't just money, it was everything, including their gold, their silver. Jesus actually has a shot at some of the Pharisees and the Sadducees because because they even weigh out a tenth of their spices and give it to the temple. Because they're, they're being so restricted by the law that they have to give everything and weigh it out in measure. Right? I was watching something on TV last night about cheese, and interestingly in India, they were talking about how this cheese comes into the market, and about four 
400 tons of cheese comes through this place a day and the, the guys are there and they're, they're putting um, the cheese on the old scales and they're weighing it out so that they know how big that cheese is and it's soft cheese, it's really, really soft and sticky. So then once they do that, they take a small handful, they put it in their bucket and they pass it on because that's their payment for weighing the cheese as it comes in. <laughs> it's a principle that works throughout everything that we look at, Right? It's the same with this one. Everything, when we look at money, it's not just money, it's actually everything. And that's how the Old Testament people were living. The people of God were to give a first fruit offering to God by way of the priests or the Levites to show that he was first in their life. This is why God asks for your money. The acknowledgement that he gives us everything is found when we're able to give back to God. It's a first fruits principle at play. The reason God asks for a portion back is in fact, like those guys weighing the cheese, God is actually weighing us and he's weighing whether or not our heart belongs to him or not. If God can't ask you, I think I've got that up there actually. If God can't ask you for something as common as money, then he will ask if Jesus truly has our hearts and our lives. Money's common. It comes and goes. It's like a, it it, it comes in one hand, it's gone out of the other. It's common. In the, in, in the nation like we're in, if you're in trouble, you can actually get some welfare help and assistance, right? Most people. Um, all of that sort of stuff, it's common. So God uses something that's really common and something that art, helps us understand where our heart lies. This quote by J.D. Greer is my favorite. You'll see it on the bottom of my emails if I email you from my phone. It says, the clearest mark of... God's grace on your life is a generous spirit towards others. A generous spirit towards others actually begins with a weighing of your heart in the sense of being generous unto God. So God owns everything and entrusts stewardship to us. In return, he asks us to not get caught up with our wealth or the pursuit of wealth, but an open heart and hands towards generosity through giving. We will only ever see this principle become a reality when we partner with it in faith. I want to build on the foundation quickly. So we just laid a bit of a foundation. I want to build on the foundation a little bit quickly for us. Before we get into the practicals as I finish the message, we must see there's a critical component which is the built to be built upon. There is an error that the enemy uses. It's a lie that stops the flow of blessing. And in fact, it actually closes the window of heaven over our individual lives. It closes the, the uh, window of heaven over our businesses. And it closes the window of heaven corporately over the church. And there might be people here that are, are doing okay in business. And that's okay. You might be saying, this is good, God's blessing my business. But if this is an area that you would be challenged in and trust God in, I can tell you where you're at at the moment 
is not necessarily where God wants you to be because he will bless your finances even more in this area when it comes to business and such. So any stop or blockage to giving back to God affects us. Our business ventures and even the breakthroughs of the church in the location it is in. This is a pretty big point. The error is is this. It is a lie that we choose to crush or partner with. We choose to apply faith or we apply fear in a situation and react to it. This lie is that the tithe is now an option because we are not under law but we're under grace. Who's heard that one? I've heard that one. This one held me up for a long time. Even though I was tithing, I was still held up and bound up with this one, that the tithe is actually under law, therefore it's not a requirement on us today. But when you search Scripture and you clearly look for it under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Scripture doesn't say this in any way, shape or form. It's actually quite the opposite. In the New Testament, we see Jesus teaching on giving. Is that right? Yep. He teaches both the tithe, which is the temple tax, and the tithe as well. He teaches, he teaches um, also about taxes, giving under Caesar what is Caesar's. And you go, oh, really? I've got to pay my taxes. Hmm? And to the poor, he tells us to remember the poor. We see the Apostle Paul teach it in practice, as we read earlier. Uh, both the tithe to the temple or to the, to the body of Christ and the taxes to the government. Uh, sorry, Paul, we, see it, we practiced it and read it in Corinthians. And in Philippian church, he commends them of their support of the gospel. In Philippians, he actually talks to them about their support for him as they sent him out as a missionary, as they were the only church that was supporting what he was doing. So we see in the New Testament lots of things around giving and supporting and paying money. Actually, when we study this out in the New Testament, we see the support of the tithe, we see the support of building or temple offerings, we see the support of love offerings, we see the support of missions offerings, and we also see support of giving to the poor in the New Testament. Then the bigger one comes, the actual birth of the church. This is a real challenge Not that I'm challenging you with it, but it's a challenge to your concepts around money. The the, the birth of the church, when we see the new converts, bring all and distribute where there was need. Everything that they had, they sold and gave to the church, and that was given to those who were in need. Because there was an abundant supply in all of that. Now, I don't actually think that that's the best thing to happen. If that was happening here, I'd probably be saying to people, I don't think that's what God's wanting you to do. But when we see that generosity touched the heart of the new believers, that's what they did. They overflowed with their generosity. I don't, but I don't see that as a principle that's being taught in Scripture. It's just recording of the history of what was going on. So if we see so much in the New Testament, then we can simply conclude that it is not from just from or under the law but from the overflow of gratitude toward God. It is saying that all I have is yours, as I linked it to the beginning of what I was talking about. Yet we also see tithing under the law. There's no, there's no if, buts, or where's. The tithe is actually under the law, as it is in the New Testament and in the Old. But therefore, if it is in the law, we need to dig a little bit deeper. 
in this context. Tithing began before the law. Did you know that? I think I've taught that once before. And I used one particular scripture. It began before the law. And I'll show you today two places where it was before the, before the covenant of the Mosaic covenant. It's actually seen in the Abrahamic covenant, perpetuated through his son, uh, sorry, his grandson, Jacob. And therefore, because it is under the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it is a faith based covenant, one that is to be perpetually found that is to glorify Jesus because that is the covenant that Jesus came in and under. Let me show you this. Genesis 14. It says, After his return from the defeat of Tidaloma and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shiva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, or Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Isn't that interesting? Let me tell you a couple of things. Abram went to rescue Lot. That's what he was doing. He was rescuing his nephew from being captured by these kings. Abraham had 318 men in his family that were able or were trained to be able to defend and for war. And he goes against these kings and defeats them and takes all of their spoil. Abraham's a very rich man before this, but let me tell you, he's an extremely rich man now because he took all of their spoil. I think that's pretty interesting if you ask me. Then he comes he comes to Salem, which most commentators would tell you is actually Jerusalem. Interestingly. And who comes to him is the king of Salem, which is actually the word peace. Who comes to him is Melchizedek, the king of peace, who is the priest of the Most High God. So right here we have what is effectively the new covenant being shadowed or foreshadowed in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, it's all pointing to Jesus. And Melchizedek serves what we would call a priestly meal. And you say, how is bread and wine a priestly meal? Or a kingly meal? Because it remembers Jesus who died upon the cross. There's a prophetic statement I see here of Melchizedek as he serves Abraham that which would be of the new covenant. It's a covenant of faith. And look at the faith response. 10% of the spoils was given to Melchizedek. That's a faith response right there. 10% of everything. Can you see that? There's another passage of scripture. The scene in Abraham's grandson. Actually, let me say this. The very next verse, the very next chapter is Genesis chapter 15. Does everyone see that? We're in Genesis 14. 
The next chapter is Genesis 15, which is the reiteration of the covenant promise under Abraham and the blessing that God would give him a son. Something that Abraham could not see before his saying that I'm going to bless the priest of God Most High. There's a, there's a thing around breakthrough that actually comes when you line up yourself with godly order. And people are contending for breakthrough in particular areas, but you're forgetting that there's one thing here. When Jesus, who is the high priest, gives of himself, there is actually a response from us, which is to give something in return. I can't give anything in return but, but what Abram gives. A tenth of everything. It's, this, it's the declaration that I am following you no matter what. Let's look at what, uh, what uh, Jacob does. He says this a little bit backwards. Uh, those who have been in church for a long time might, ne- might not see this, but, but this is Jacob's pre-God statement. He, he's saying this before He says, I'm following God. Let's read it. It says, So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at that first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in his way that I go, and and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, And the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So he says it a little bit backwards. God, if you will do this for me, I will do this for you. But ultimately, when you see his heart here, of all that you give me, I will return a full tenth. Now this is before the law, way before the law. And then, what makes this even more interesting is the name Bethel, which is the meaning house of God. Which is why you give a tenth to the house of God. Because this is the actual scripture that teaches the tithe in this context. Let's look at the New Testament again quickly. Acts 2, 42 and 47. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's interesting, isn't it? When generosity touches your heart, the the windows of heaven open up. So just to wrap up this one middle point here is really this, this building upon the foundation. Giving to God is clearly seen before the law in the perpetual covenant of faith. During the law and under the law, we see it and we also see it in the New Testament church. So my next point is this, and I'll put this one up there really interestingly. Let's not rob God. The last passage 
I want to mention is this one passage in Malachi 3, 6 to 12. Now, I've actually shunned this passage for a very, very long time because someone told me when I was a young man that this was under the law and not under grace. But I can tell you how God has impacted me even throughout my journey, but even as, as early as last week as God was touching my heart. Let me read this to you. For I, the Lord, do not change. Straight up. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Verse 8. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me. The whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test. Says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the window of heaven. The windows of heaven. For you and pour down for you a blessing. Until there is no more need. You want to do social work? There's the key. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be the land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So the simple question that comes out of this is, have we robbed God? Have we robbed God? And when we look at that answer, Only you can answer that question in light of what God's saying and what the Holy Spirit's bringing to you today. Imagine what would happen if we all were to action our faith in this one area. Free from the lies of the enemy and trusting Jesus who will supply our every need. I have found as Jesus has led me over the years to a deeper revelation in this that my $9 has always gone further than my 10 In fact, I've probably found that my $9 has gone double what it would normally. And I'm happy to sit down with anybody and give testimony after testimony of how God has supplied my need, but how he has also walked me through this to this point today where I'm at. And he will continue to lead me in this because I've always got to check my heart before God because God's weighing it. God promises in this passage that he will open the windows of heaven. Now, speaking to an agrarian nation, people who loved agriculture and that's how they survived, this opening the windows of heaven is particularly in response to rain. I believe that while prayer and repentance are linked to the breaking of the drought, therefore, if my people would humble themselves and pray, I will. There's a powerful principle in that. So while I believe that prayer and repentance are linked to breaking the drought, I also see a big key in actually giving unto God and putting him first in your life is a huge key that we cannot miss. If you want breakthrough in your home, if you want breakthrough in your finance, if you want breakthrough in your business, if you want breakthrough in seeing the gospel presented and accepted by those who you care for the most, 
Whatever it is you're contending for, in your, even if it's sickness, whatever you are contending for, I believe the first and the right step is always weighing our heart and being obedient to God. Rain in today's language, so the opening of the windows of heaven, while it might not necessarily speak to us that we need a lot of rain, in today's economy, in our today's language, it's actually something that is beyond our control. God, when he says he's going to open up the windows of heaven, he's saying to you he's going to open up that which you cannot change, that only I can change in this situation. And I'm talking to people who are praying for some pretty big things. So I know God's contending for you, but there's this one area that the enemy may have you tripped up in. God promises breakthrough. It could be rain. It could be uh, the stock market, you surviving whatever crash we're walking through right now. It could be the global economy. It, it, It could be anything that you're contending with at the moment that God can do wonders in. God promises to break through the windows of heaven with the supply that will meet your need. And in this, he also promises that he will rebuke the devourer. He will rebuke the devourer and not let the enemy rob you. Isn't that an interesting promise? But he doesn't just say, do something. He throws out a challenge to us. And I believe it's the only place that I've ever found in the Bible where God challenges us to challenge him. Look at it. Where is it there? And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven. Hear me what I'm saying here. I can't put a dollar in the plate as it goes around and then test God. Because my heart doesn't weigh up with God's generosity. The response is, I'll never ever outgive God, true? I can never give enough back to say thank you to Jesus. But God doesn't ask for that. He asks quite simply for a tenth. Imagine if God asked you for everything, the church would be empty. But he's not. He's asking for a very simple principle that can be followed to the letter. Later on in the year, I actually want to open this passage up a bit more because I believe God's challenging me to do this. So I want to spend a two or three week series in June or July opening this passage up a bit more because I actually know that there is breakthrough for us in this. And I'm going to do so using two scriptures, one out of the Old Testament and one in the New to show us that this is a grace that God supplies. So... In concluding, we need to get practical. What's the point of me just telling you you must tithe unless I actually give you some practical steps? Matthew six nineteen to 25 says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Who wants treasures in heaven? I'm going to be in eternity forever with God. I want to be comfortable with him, Right? So, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, praise God for that, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. Again, Jesus is linking what we treasure with our heart. Some of our biggest problems are solved when we put God first. When a husband and a wife are having trouble in their marriage, when they draw a line in the sand and they put God first and they follow his word, I can tell you their marriage will be saved. These are principles that touch every area of our life and it's exactly the same when it comes to finance. Finance is one of the biggest hindrances to marriages, is that right? You fight the most over, over money. So when we put God's principles first, and we put his promises first, it clears up many of the troubles that we're going through. It also opens up the biggest, um, it stops the biggest hindrance for you. I, I get people coming up all the time to me saying, what's God's call on my life? Where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing? Quite simply, there's enough in this Bible, in this book, to tell you what you should be doing without a particular personal call of God on your life. If we start putting in the principles in place of what we should be doing, all of a sudden the hindrances begin to be removed and we no longer sound like the rich young ruler justifying ourselves. but I've done this and I've kept the law and I've done all of this and Jesus says to him, well, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. The only thing that he was hanging on to was his wealth, his status in society, and Jesus challenged him on it and he walked away and guess what he missed? His call. Many historians and many theologians have actually written and said that this man was being called into the discipleship, into the, the inner 12 to follow Jesus and he walked away from his call because he could not get rid of his love of money. It's interesting, isn't it? The next one, this is the next verse. No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Come on. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. You're struggling with anxiety today? Maybe it's tied up around money. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? I believe part of the seeking first is the first fruit offering, which we call the tithe. In principle, it releases us in believing that God is the God of the increase and therefore we honor him with our increase. Question, how can we honor God today? Well, let me go through these really quickly. Number one, acknowledge that God, in fact, supplies your every need. God supplies your every need. It was the first and opening point of what I shared today. I had to, and I have to nearly every day. Number two, with all of yourself and all you have, seek first the kingdom of God. Why? Because you are in covenant with him. When God asks, make the conscious one-time decision that you will obey in everything. 
in everything. God leads us in this journey. He does. He is faithful and he's patient and he's wise. And he's not telling you today that you have to jump all in. He's telling you to trust him as he leads you through this breakthrough. Is that right? For years, I gave 10% of my wages. For years. Years and years and years. I've done this as a principle in my life for ages, but that was it. That, that was what I gave my tithe on, was my wages. And I can tell you honestly, just in my confession this morning, I can tell you honestly that I was on my net wages. Ah, I'll get to that one in a moment. But for years I did this. But I can honestly say God has led me to do this. And he's brought me to this place personally that I have no desire to rob God because he has always showed himself faithful. The old principle that we say in Australia all the time, never bite the hand that feeds you. Is that right? Number three, believe that God will honor his word. And in particular, the challenge in Malachi 3.10, that you can challenge God, test me in this. That's a faith statement. Believe that you can test God in this area. Number four, start somewhere. 10% of your weekly wage is not a law, but a great starting place. It's a great starting place, right? That's, that's where it begins. But Malachi teaches us a principle of grace, the same principle that Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 6, that as we trust God, he will supply our every need. He will open up the windows of heaven. He will pour out abundantly. He will bring the breakthrough in the areas that I cannot contend for. Isn't that grace? Isn't that what God's doing in our life? Day by day by day? Who wants more of the grace of God effectively actioned in their life? Well, this is another way that we can do so. Number five. Begin to really stretch yourself. Begin to really Stretch yourself. So from a tithe perspective, we, we, we can then begin to start to say that I need to give 10% of my gross income because I want to put Jesus first before I put the government first. Yeah? If I'm giving only of the 10% of my, of my uh, net income, then I've actually effectively said, well, the government's taken their portion before God. And I don't think we're actually being activated in our faith in that way, shape, or form. Stretch yourself in other areas as you grow through this with God. Um, I don't say this to boast, but I say this to teach. I say this to help you unpack what Sarah and I have been going through over the last couple of years. So we give 10% of our gross income. We give 10% of any benefit we receive from our government. Any benefit. So that check that, you, that many of you will receive for $750, thank you to Mr. Scott Morrison for giving us a stimulus package, the church will receive as a tithe, giving unto God 10% of that. Okay? That's, this is the challenge that we're being brought through in our own lives. That we, as we receive family tax benefit, we tithe on that. 
uh, we, we've made the decision to give on um, any other income that we receive. Any inheritance that I receive, I tithe on. Any gift for the ministry, if I go and preach somewhere, or if someone comes up and says, Pastor, take your wife out for dinner, or something like that, I tithe on that, because what comes into my bank account, or what comes into my hand, is all given to me to give to God, and therefore I give God honor for that, because God's supplying my need, not the person who gives me the $50 handshake. Does that make sense? Like, like every time someone comes to Sarah and I and says, do this, or... Or, or thank you, pastor, or whatever, I tell you, I put that money into a jar. I pay a tithe on it, I put that money into a jar, and that's what pays for my mission trips. So I went to Brazil last year, and it cost me nothing because God has opened the window of heaven upon my life. Does that make sense? Like, like this is how the principle works. It's $3,500 to go to Brazil and back again by the time you go. And I had to pay nothing because God opens the doors and he opens the ways. This is not boasting. Again, this is me teaching you what God does as he leads you in this. Anything that comes in, we tithe on because we're saying, God, even if I have received this as come out of the blue, you still receive the honor first before I spend it on myself or my family. Um. Breakthrough comes when we put Jesus first. Number six, you may be at the point, this point, and I congratulate you that if you are, but maybe God is saying, take another step. Take another step. Take another step. I know people who, who are giving 20 or 30% to God and he's still providing more of their needs. Rick Warren gives 91% or something of his wage. 91% of his incomplete income he gives to the church. That's phenomenal. And I know the guy gets a lot of money. Don't worry about that. But we were talking about Rick Warren last year. That's huge. Number seven. This is a practical step that we all need to understand. The tithe is for the house of God, your local church. That's what Jacob's teaching when he says that he calls that place Bethel. It's the house of God. So therefore, you cannot count giving to compassion or giving to buying raffle tickets for the New South Wales Fire Brigade or buying raffle tickets for kids with cancer, whatever it is, that's actually an extension of your generosity. It's not giving your first to God. This is a really, really important step. I did this for a long time in my life. I, I, I actually said, well, we've got to take on this sponsor child. This was, we were really young. We've got to take on this sponsor child, and we can't really afford it yet, so we're going to count that as part of our tithe. God corrected me in that one, and I can tell you what, that child was blessed because we were able to give that child more in gifts and stuff like that because we put God first in this area. It's really important to put God first. And you hear my heart in that. It comes into your local church. It does not go to the televangelist who's saying, please follow me, please support me. If you choose to do that, that's of your own volition. That's out of the generosity of your heart. And good on you for doing that. But your tithe is not a part of that. It says it very clearly in the Bible. Are we clear on this one? Is that okay? Because Malachi 3.10 says, bring your tithe into the storehouse. This is the storehouse. This is of the place of where you are fed. Number eight, resist the enemy. I've got to finish. 
He will lie and manipulate you. Do you know that? Write down 1 Peter 5, 6 to 11. He will lie and manipulate you because he does not want you to move in the power of moving in kingdom advancement. Number nine, don't boast. I'm going to call up the band. Don't boast. This is before God and we cannot boast in anything but Christ. Allow the testing of your faith and heart to bring the breakthrough Jesus desires. Thanks, Ben. That would be great. And my final one is this. Number 10. Attend today's AGM. Get involved. Become a partner member. Find out what your church is doing with your money. Find out how it's supporting things. Find out how it's growing. Find, get, get involved and do these things with an open heart. Partner with the church and what she is doing in the community. Amen? I might just ask um, Natasha just to play the keys as I finish up here. The Bible is really clear on our money. It's really clear on where our heart is. It's really clear on where we grow and where we're fed. This is the place where you grow. This is the place of where you're fed. I want to invite you to stand to your feet because... There are people that might want to respond today and I don't want you feeling embarrassed about that. So if we all stand to our feet, then all of a sudden it's now between you and God and not between anyone else that's looking at you, including the pastor. God wants to set you free so that you can be free indeed. He doesn't want you worried about your finances. He doesn't want you concerned about them. Jesus wants you to walk freely knowing that he'll provide every need. He knows them even before you ask. Do you know that? But I think the Lord has brought a challenge to us today in a loving way that is able to help us understand and unpack. And, and I don't need you to come up to me and say, Pastor, that, that, that impacted me. It's not about that. I don't need you to say that that you're being challenged in this or even that you can't afford to do this. This is between you and God. Because my answer is, if you can't afford to do this, then you can't afford not to do this. That's the reality of what this teaching is actually about. If the devil's saying to you right now in this place that you can't afford to do this, then trust God test him and see what he does for you bring your tithe into the storehouse it says trust God close your eyes and I want to read a prayer over you Lord Jesus open up the window of heaven upon us as your church Lord Jesus, we ask that you would withhold nothing from us that will see us break through. During the week, church, I I felt the need, even though God's leading me in this journey, I felt the need to get on my knees and actually repent for some of my attitudes of the past. 
today, I don't ask you to stand on your knees, but if you want to say this with me in quietly, if you want this to be a prayer of repentance over your own life today, then will you pray this with me? Lord, I thank you for your love and your grace. And the leading of your word and spirit. Today, I repent of robbing you. That which is rightfully yours. Forgive me today. I ask you to lead me in this area. So that I can see a breakthrough in my life. And in the life of my church. That I may be free in my generosity. Just as freely you gave Jesus to me. Help me to make one step forward. Today and this week. Help me to hear you leading in this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, may our homes prosper. May our people prosper and may our businesses prosper in, as in every area we seek to serve and to give the first fruits of all we receive to your work. Jesus, may we prosper in the work of the gospel in your mighty name. I'm going to invite the band to sing a song now. And if you want specific prayer, then now's the time to come. No one can hear you when you're out here and the band's going. I close the service off now and you're free to go. You're free to grab a cup of tea and a cup of coffee. But as the worship team lead us in a song to take us out this morning, if you feel that you just want to make a faith step and say, Pastor, pray for me, I would be happy to pray for you and just bless you in the decisions that you're making today. So thank you, team, as you lead us out. May God bless you today. May I see you at our 1 o'clock AGM. And... uh, That could be your first step. God bless you. Amen.